Reader's Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. Can you believe it's Monday? Another week. Kids are back in school. It's fall. Starting to cool off a little bit, and um, but book lights is not. We're heating up um, today. We have Kimberly Stewart on, and if you have not met Kimberly yet, you're in for a treat. Um, Kimberly, in an effort to condone the time and money spent, would like you to know that she holds degrees from Saint Olaf College and the University of Iowa, where she learned lots of interesting things at these fine institutions. But none prepared her for the lethal cocktail of parenthood and writing. I think lots of us can attest to that. Stuart is the author of eight published novels, including the Heidi Elliott series, Act Two, Stretch Marks, Operation Bonnet, Sugar, and Heartland, the new book we're going to talk about today. She is a frequent public speaker and passionate about helping others live great stories. She has a fabulous website, and I put a link to that right on the Blog Talk site, so feel free to click on there at any time and sign up for her newsletter and um, poke around and look at all those um, beautiful book covers and get to know Kimberly a little bit more. So without further ado, Kimberly, are you there? I am. Hello. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Hello. Oh, I'm so glad. Behind the scenes, everyone, Kimberly was supposed to be on earlier, and Blog Talk that week refused to set up any new shows. So, Kimberly and I, this has been a quest. So, I'm so glad that you finally got (laughs) to be on today. (laughs) It's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) <laughs> so can you tell our readers who are listening, um, tell us about Heartland. Why do they need to go buy a copy right now this week? Oh, my goodness. I love the urgency of that question. Um, <laughs> right? Heartland, <laughs> Heartland is a coming home story. So it's set in the Midwest, which was lovely for me because I'm a Midwest girl, and it was so fun to write about um, the area where I grew up and where my parents Grew up in a small town in northwest Iowa. I kind of based a lot of, of what I wrote um, on a town up there. And so that was just personally very gratifying. But I also love stories where um, a heroine has to come home. And this heroine comes home a little bit against her will. She's not looking to move back to Iowa. So she's a little bit kicking and screaming. And she has to reckon with what home really is. She has to reckon with a, a few memories that are hard for her that she'd really rather not, not face. And then, of course, there's a delicious and lovely, sweet little romance um, that percolates. Um, I can't Yay. tell you too much about that or you will be not you. I just don't want to ruin a surprise, but I do love it when um, a girl has to meet her former love (laughs) and kind of figure Mm -hmm. out what that means in her adult life. So that was fun. And my other favorite part of Heartland is that there's a group, a gaggle of feisty grandmas who come alongside Grace, who's the main character, and really help her navigate some really hard things and some um, things that she'd rather not. And she learned so much from these women. I loved writing about them partly because they're a hoot, which was fun for me. I have feisty grandmas in my family. And so it was fun to write about these strong women 
um, who really are the backbone of a lot of our small towns in Iowa and throughout the country, and they don't ask to be written into novels, um, but I think they deserve <laughs> to be. So it was very fun. It was a yeah. really fun, really fun book to write. So when you write a small town that's similar to the one where you grew up, did real people creep into your books? Did, were there little characters, you know, quirks that you were like, oh, this was the person. Are they going to recognize themselves? <laughs> well, I have a little bit of a buffer. So I actually grew up, I, I missed, I kind of, I don't know if I spoke that very clearly. I grew up in Des Moines, which is, you know, we have about, 600,000 people here, so it's not super small, but my parents okay. grew up in very small towns, and my dad grew up in a town of 250. Um, before I was writing, wow. I was an, a Spanish teacher and an ESL teacher, and for several of my teaching gigs, I taught in small towns, and so I've had enough of kind of short bursts in those communities to have such an affection for them and also to see a little bit how they're a little fish bully. You know, it's kind of hard to have any anonymity mm-hmm. in a small town, especially when it's right. people. So I tried to try, you know, I have enough of a familiarity that I felt the freedom to write about it. But um, secretly I'm also, I'm kind of the girl who does like to not always see someone I know when I go to the grocery store. So I empathize with that piece too. <laughs> <laughs> so people so people in your dad's hometown aren't going to go, hey, that's me. <laughs> no, no, there's danger there. It's funny. I don't know what you found with your books, Lisa, but I find that the people who see themselves in the characters are rarely the people who maybe are actually in those characters. I have right. people who, will, you know, I've always laughed. There's a friend of mine from high school who's completely convinced every single book that the male romantic lead is based on him. And so every time he emails and it's like, wow, this is a lot like me. Sounds great. And I was like, it's not you. So, <laughs> you know, I think that's something about the Y chromosome because I write paranormal romance and marketing wise, the publishers always put a bare man chest on there and rarely right. a head. And so right. every single man who sees my cover goes, oh, I'm glad they cut my head off so people wouldn't know that was me. Oh, every single oh, one. Oh, I was like, really? Oh, that so it's something about that Y chromosome. <laughs> Either that or you have a lot of very confident men in your life. That's great. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. And even, you know, young men, 12, will will blurt that out. I'm like, wow, oh, really? Funny. Okay. <laughs> that's, you just let them think that. Just say congratulations. That's and right. Yep. It's, that's <laughs> right. It's good for their ego. That's right. <laughs> so when I was looking through all of your books, a lot of them happen in small towns. Do you have an attraction to writing that, um, or is, or does it just happen because you're from Iowa? You know, what what leads yeah. you to small towns for your stories? I kind I feel like I tend to flip flop. So a lot of the when I've written a book in a small town, then the next one will be set in Chicago or New York, and then I go back again. Oh, okay. um, but there is definitely, or even part of the book, part of Heartland is is set in Manhattan. Um, so that's kind of fun to have a foot in both of those worlds. I think I think the pull for a small town for me as a writer is that the characters in a small town feel um, 
they're, they kind of come with some, some backstory or they come with some previous information of the main character, which is inescapable. And I kind of like that. I kind of like being able to almost step into the middle of a conversation. And maybe I feel the freedom to do that a little bit more in a small town than in an urban area. That's a great question, Lisa. No one's ever asked me that. And I, I wonder, I'll have to think about why. I surely do. I definitely do return. And kind of what you and I were talking about before the show began, there's something about um, everyone having a story in a small town right. and those stories connecting. So you said, you know, doesn't the baker have a story? You know, is this going to be right? Series? And I really, <laughs> I think you're hitting on it. I think you're hitting on the idea that in a small town, we feel like, you know, the Everyone's next person connected. down the block. Yes. That we, I know part of their story and I'd kind of like to hear the part that they haven't shared. And so, I don't know, it's very fun. It's fun for me. It's fun to sit in the middle of that town square and watch what happens. And when you have other books like set in Chicago and New York, do you travel there for book research? Have you been there before? I have. Um, we kind of lived, my husband and I live in Iowa now, but we, um, he did not grow up here. And we left for about 10 years um, and lived all sorts of places. And I did live in Chicago for a while and Minneapolis. I lived in Nebraska for a while. Ooh, very we cold. Lived in Costa Rica for a while. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Wow. Uh, we lived in Costa Rica and taught English there for a while. So we kind of um, made the rounds for that decade. And so enough that I love, I have such an affinity definitely for travel and for, for going to new places, but I also have a different appreciation for people who navigate um, highly densely populated areas on the, on a given day and how much time it takes to right. just kind of get places. Um, so then when you juxtapose that to a small town in Iowa where everything is five minutes away, it's just fun to kind of put that to paper, um, especially in the same right. book where the same character is looking at both of those things. I do travel to the places where I'm writing. Um, in fact, I've never written a book um, – I've got to check this in my head before I say it, but no, I've never written a book – in a city where I have not been. Um, I have, I always have some boots on the ground. So I always have mm -hmm. someone who lives currently in the city and who can answer incredibly detailed questions. Like if I'm standing on the corner of, you know, 92nd and Broadway and I'm, you know, wanting to get here, is it better for me to take a cab or to walk? And so I, I get pretty nitty-gritty with those details, mostly because I never want the person who lives in New York or who lives in Chicago to read my book and throw it across the room because I'm completely off it and it's I'm so I'm right. going, you know making up stuff. You know I don't want them to be pulled out of the story. Right. Um, but no, I do like to go. We went to a, on a quote-unquote research trip, my sister and mom and I, to New York one time for a book I wrote called Act Two, and it was so fun. I loved it. I walked the neighborhoods where Sadie would live and I found her grocery mm -hmm. store and her favorite Indian restaurant. And so that's fun for me to do. It makes it come alive. So if I can squeeze in a trip, I do try to do that. Right. I do that too. I, because I write paranormal, I like the real part to be as real as possible so that maybe right. you do go, well, maybe vampires could live in San Diego. Um, so, right. so I like I to go there. <laughs> right? 
Um, but I like to go there. I like to know where they would eat, where they might go on a date, where people work. And, and right. invariably, every time I do a research trip, I new things pop up where I'm like, oh, my God, I have to have a scene with that. Oh, my gosh. You know, and right. so I, I just think when you go there, you really are so lucky because you get a lot more mm-hmm. story ideas that you would never get off Google right. Um, right. just by being able to go there. Right. No, I, I have, have you written your you. Costa Rica story yet? No, I had one in the hopper for a little bit and I, I tinkered with, and then I, I have, I'll need to return to that, but um, we have been back to Costa Rica <laughs> lots of times. So that's definitely on, that's on the list one day. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> Take us on a trip <laughs> with you to Costa Rica. <laughs> <laughs> So it sounds like you and your husband are both were both teachers, right? We were for the Costa Rica piece. I was a, I was I went to school. I, my undergrad degree is in Spanish and foreign language education, and so um, that was definitely my gig. Um, he, Mark, who is so kind and just a lovely person, um, when we moved to Costa Rica, he was between his undergrad and then going on to dental school. So we knew oh, that our I only see. marketable skill was, um, as a couple, was to teach together. And so that was a co-teaching position there, and it was fantastic. I will tell you, it was really good. All the teachers who are listening will identify with this. It was very good for my spouse to see how exhausting teaching is yes. and for him to really, because, <laughs> you know, we spend a lot of time as students Um we right. had by that time, but it's a very different deal to be in charge of, of, you know, six different preps a day or whatever. So it was very good. It was, I remember him saying over and over during those first years of our marriage, it was so good for me to see what she does for real and to know why she was right. asleep at seven o'clock at night because he'd experienced it himself. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. I think that is a great tool for many couples to, you know, learn <laughs> be forced to go to work with, you know, you, they have take your kid to work today. They should have take your spouse to <laughs> work today. So they can see, <laughs> so they can see oh. boy, this is a hard job. No wonder you're grumpy when you get home. <laughs> uh, I think today if he would do that, it would be a very funny thing to watch. I'd like to see how that would work out because his, his real life now is um, as an orthodontist. And so I really oh, hope okay. he does not ask me to come to work because I don't really want my fingers in people's mouths, um, no matter how cute they'll be when you're done with braces. And I'm positive he's not super excited about sitting next to me while I type. So uh, I don't Probably know. Probably not. I'm, no. I'm, I think we did it at the right time of our marriage. <laughs> So if you were teaching and everything, what what was your writing journey like? I mean, how did you decide, you know what, I don't want to teach anymore. I think I'm going to write a book. The, what changed was that we started our family. And I was, um, Mark and I were talked a lot about what that would look like. And we really loved the idea. I really wanted to be able to stay home with my kiddos. And so when Anna, who is now 16, was born, I, um, I'd finished my, we had moved, I can't remember where we were at this point, one of the university towns. I'd finished undergrad, Mark was still in school because he was in school for 5,000 years because that's what they make you do. 
And then I finished a grad degree on top of that and was done and was teaching. Um, and then um, we started our family and I became pregnant with Anna. And so at that point we decided that I would stay home. And so I remember very vividly the total shock of going from being around my students and my colleagues all day to just being around this one little one who was lovely. Right. Uh, but, you know, yes, not a, a chatter. with arms and legs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not a great conversationalist at that point. No. And so um, <laughs> that was the point where I, I think Mark started to get a little nervous because when he would come home every day, I would attack him with questions about the conversations he was having. And I would say, okay, then what happened? What did that person say when, when you said you should floss more? How did he respond? Was he angry? I mean, these weren't even good conversations, and I was making him relive them twice. So she um, was the one, Mark was the one who said, I am so concerned about the woman that I've married. You need something to do. Oh, weirdo. Yes. Where, let's look into clogging or macrame or something. So I hauled out my old laptop and started um, typing up different things that I was thinking about and learning um, while Anna slept during her nap time. And that evolved into entering a little contest at J1, which um, eventually um, led to me going down through the kindness of my parents because we were living on saltine crackers. And they were so kind to give me um, entrance to go down to a writer's conference down in North Carolina. And it was at that conference that I ended up meeting the editor who was the one who acquired my first two books. Oh, very cool. So how yeah, long were really you cool. writing before, before you um, sold your first book? Um, that's a great question that I haven't thought about in a long time. I would say it took probably, probably about three years, two to three years. Um, and I have to say, I, I was the clueless with the capital C. I didn't know anything about anything. I surely did not know anything about how you were supposed to do this. Um, I mean, even going right. back to that conference, I cringe to think of it now because I had so very little to offer. I had a few vignettes in nonfiction, and no one was acquiring that, and I had the first five pages of a novel, and that was it. I mean, typically people who go to conferences and who have come to the point where they want to do that have at least a full manuscript. I didn't even right. have a partial, really. So, um, right. so I was busy writing. I don't know that it was very organized, Lisa, but uh, it ended up to be <laughs> just a windfall of blessing because I, I kind of got on the train fairly quickly once I got to the station. Now, that mm -hmm. part was lovely and fast. There have been so many dips and so many valleys since then, yeah. um, you know, and the, I mean, you know, if you're in this long enough, there are yes. good years and there are lean years. And so, um, mm -hmm. but the first bit was very exciting and, and super fun. And I was thrilled to be doing something that seems like such a crazy dream. You know, no, I did not grow right. up saying I'm going to be a writer I didn't know writers. I didn't know people who actually did that. I was a voracious reader, and I knew those books had to come from somewhere, but there was no one in my community or in my circle that was doing writing a novel for their job. So I just, I still kind of shake my head at the wonder of it all that it is such, it, it would, that would have been my absolute craziest dream to say out loud. 
growing up and right. um, it's worked out for me to do it. I feel very, very, very blessed, very fortunate. And usually um, when, like when you went to a writer's conference, that kind of thing, is there an author that inspired you? Who was the first author who was nice to you who went, hey, you can do this? Do you remember? Yes. Yes. The per- I knew one person at that conference. And his name was, I mean, I didn't know him. I just knew one name right. on the, in, in the booklet. And <laughs> I followed him there. His name was Ray Blackston. And he was so kind to me. He had written a very funny book called Flabbergasted. This has been years now. Um, and I thought it was just clever and witty and delightful. And I thought, well, if he can write like that, I would just like to hear him talk. And so right. there was a time during this conference where you could set up a 15-minute slot with different, if with an editor, an agent, or a publisher. I didn't know what any of those things, I didn't even know to seek out those people. But you could also set, Ray was one of the people that you could sign up to talk with. And so during my slot, I went right up to his table and said, I really loved your book. Um, and he was so Aww. gracious and took a look at some of the things that I'd written. And he was the one that stood up out of his chair and said, follow me. I want to introduce you to an editor. So, yes, he was more than kind, more than kind. I, I oh, owe him a wonderful. lot to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love hearing stories like that because I feel like writing is a really strange industry. I used to, before I started writing, I was in sales and, you know, it was a very competitive industry. And so when I started writing and authors are so generous to help you out and and uh, I was writing short stories and posting them on my blog and, and Ray Garten contacted me and said, girl, you can write. What else do you have? Aww. And I thought, what? You know, and, but there's always some, there's always somebody's story where there's an author who made a huge difference. And mm. I think that that's so cool that in writing, you know, you're not, nobody can possibly write fast enough to keep up with a voracious reader. So these people aren't your competition they're your Mm -hmm. colleagues and your teammates and I just think that that is a beautiful part of (laughs) there's lots of unbeautiful parts of publishing but but the you know authors helping young writers is is really cool he changed your life that day he absolutely did so well said Lisa and it's so true that a lot of publishing is just rocky and hard and fickle Mm -hmm. So to have the human connection of other writers who are doing the same gig and walking forward, um, it's just priceless. I'm a part of um, this group. We call ourselves the Traveling Pens, the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pens. (laughs) And it's two other authors and I, and yeah, Tosca Lee um, and Nicole Bart and I, and we have joined forces um, to do events together. We're going to have our first writers workshop this June, and we have gotten so much joy out of not only banding together and doing events together and, um, you know, working together in an industry that's typically so on your own in front of a computer, Right. also we have loved connecting with aspiring writers um, and with readers. There's just so much time in a writer's life that is very solitary. And so when you finally get the chance to meet with people who are just as passionate about good stories as you it can just put wind in my sails for, for months. It's just such a lovely thing. Right. And I, I agree with you. It's an honor and a privilege, especially 
after having done this for quite a while to be able to give a hand up to the next next group coming up. Yeah, yeah. And and storytelling is so important, especially these days. You, people need an escape. And um, if we don't keep, you know, cultivating the next generation, <laughs> you know, I always, people talk about they're watching Netflix on their phone, they're watching, you know, but all of these things mm. that you're watching, there's a writer behind it. <laughs> And if, right. if, you know, if we don't keep cultivating new writers, you're going to run out. You're going to have to watch old right. things. <laughs> so, right. Well, all the stuff we made. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, all our old things. Um, <laughs> oh. So speaking of Netflix, I always ask authors because I know readers are always really excited about what do, what do you like to watch? Do you binge watch things on TV? What, what gets you cooking? Mm. I am such a PBS nerd. I oh, my, nice. I mean, I'm a total nerd. I love, um, my husband and I love to watch all those British mysteries that are usually set in Oxford in England. Um, and we had the opportunity to go to Oxford recently and marveled that not everyone was dead there. Because in every mystery that we ever watch, <laughs> someone in Oxford is dead. So, <laughs> word to the wise, there are still living people in Oxford, England. Much much to the but shock be careful when you go there. PBS. Yeah, just be careful, right? Make sure you be very careful when you go. <laughs> Look behind you when you walk down Dark Street. Um, and then I also, I mean, this is still PBS, but my daughter, who's my eldest, who's 16, we have a 16-year-old, 13, and an 11-year-old. And so the 16-year-old girl and I have been um, watching Downton Abbey because the movie oh. is about to come out. And so we've right. very nerdy and aristocratic, and we do very horrible impressions of all of the characters, um, which makes the rest of our family squirm and uncomfortable. Uh, so that's probably what I've been doing <laughs> and, the most And you keep your recently. pinkies up. <laughs> Absolutely. Keep your pinkies yeah. up while you I try to sound drink. as nudie as I can. I try that for the Lady Mary. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's probably what I've been doing recently. I, I – find that when I'm really into a TV show, my reading definitely suffers. And I, you know, we have three very busy kids. And so my time at night is just getting shorter and shorter and shorter because they're all staying up later and later. They have activities. Uh Dip in my Netflix consumption as of late, because really if I'm going to have that little hour or even 45 minutes, um, usually a book pulls me, pulls me to the side. So, yeah. So who are your favorite authors to read? Oh dear. I I like to read so I like to read a lot of different kinds of things. Kind of when when we were talking about going from urban to rural settings in my books, I go from fiction to nonfiction. Right. Um right now I'm really into the mystery writer. I don't read a lot of mystery, but I think I found the best one in Louise Penny. She is a Canadian writer, oh. and she has fantastic mm-hmm. novels. Just love her. Um, for something that's beautifully written but also a page-turner, I often turn to Marissa de los Santos. She's written beautiful books that are funny and smart and um, romantic, and I really like her writing quite a bit. Um, I like memoir. I read Educated by Tara Westover this summer, which ripped me up. Have you read that book? No. Oh, my goodness. 
You should go read it today. It's unbelievable. Oh, my word. Educated? It's just crazy. Educated by Tara Westover. Yep. Um, so okay. any true story written beautifully is also also interesting to me, but um, I'm kind of all over the board. And I know you feel the same thing, Lisa, that we also have to do quite a bit of writing for or reading for, um, you know, for endorsements or for people that we know and, you know, want to keep up with right. our friends writing too. So, um, right. you know, there's always, I have a few things on the bedside table at any given given time and I don't right. ever feel like I have enough hours in the day. I'm very concerned that I'm getting old and that at some point that list that I keep putting into my phone, I'm going to have to edit it and say, I'm not going to have enough years to do this many books. No. <laughs> well, I can tell you, you can. because my, my two, my two kids are now out of the house. You do get some time back. So, okay. so don't okay. edit your list That's- yet. <laughs> okay. Good to know. I was it's <laughs> good to know because I have been very tempted to go through and say, okay, I've got to get 100 off of here because it's just depressing me. But you're saying there will come a time when I have more there, than there will come an a hour time. to myself. Okay. All right, That's right. The good. worrying, the Hold worrying on. about them never stops, but mm. they start driving themselves, so you get a little more time. Yes. <laughs> we have seen a little freedom with that with Anna, and oh, it is glory. Yes, it is. It's it almost makes you giddy, although you worry about yes. the driving. But <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, um. Well, we are quickly running out of time, so I wondered if there is any way that readers can get in touch with you. Do you just want them to sign up for your newsletter? Are you on Facebook or Twitter, or how how can they get in touch with you? That would be fantastic. I'd love to connect with them. Um, the best place to get a general idea and some free excerpts of my book is to go to KimberlyStewart.com. That's K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y and then S-T-U-A-R-T.com. It's a list of books and all sorts of things there, and you can sign up for newsletters where I give away stuff. Or I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. And just under Kimberly Stewart? Yes, Kimberly Stewart for Facebook, and then Instagram is Kimberly.Stewart.Write, as in W-R-I-T-E-S. Oh, fun. Okay. Well, everyone get in touch with Kimberly and um, connect, and be sure that you run out and grab Heartland because it sounds fabulous. I'm so glad you got Thank to be you. on today. Thank you. Me too. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Book Lunch. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.